Warning, this episode contains descriptions of violent acts and could be a trigger to someone. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. We're about to get a little true crime-like this week, guys. Imagine walking into the house to a crime scene where your partner has just murdered someone, then being assaulted and fearing for your own life. It sounds like a movie. But my guest this week, Ashley Michelle, actually experienced this. She's written a book called Finding Strength Through Tragedy, and she's here today to tell us about what happened that day and the mental health journey she's been on ever since. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Ashley, let's start this story from the beginning. How did you and your boyfriend at the time meet and what was your relationship like? Um, We actually met at the gym and we started talking through a mutual friend and we would hang out every now and again. And um, we were off and on. He moved out to BC and uh, he came back to having his project had failed or his job, I should say. And uh, so he came back here and I said he could stay with me, made him a key to my house. The deceased at the time also, you know, had him stay with him as well. And he was kind of going back and forth until he landed a job and got back on his feet. We were both um, just caring individuals, wanting the best for the person we cared about. How long were you together before this happened? I guess almost two years. Well, he had moved out to BC for a while, Um, but we were talking every now and again, not in like a full out committed relationship when he was out in BC, but, and then he came back from BC eight months later or so. And uh, that's when me and his friend, well, his best friend that was practically like his brother tried to help him out. Did you ever think that something was just not quite right with this guy or with the relationship? Actually, he went to school for police foundations and criminology. Like he he worked for like the city even at one point. Um, so it, no, I I don't think that you ever really see this coming. I mean, like look at Shanann Watts. You know, she married Chris Watts, who murdered her and her unborn children and who murdered their children as well. She obviously did not see that coming. You know, when love is so blind and when you're in love, you don't, you only want to see the best in that person. You know, you don't want to look for that negative and nobody, I don't think anybody really sees anybody getting killed. I mean, unless you're in a domestic violent relationship and you're getting beat on every day, your chances of getting killed are very high, extremely high, but for something like this, no, I I didn't see this coming. I couldn't have predicted this. I mean, him and the deceased were like brothers, like they were inseparable. 
I never imagined for a second that he would take his life or anyone's for that matter. Can you describe what actually happened that day and what was going through your mind? Yeah. So I actually attended a party the night before a good life party. Um, one of our bosses were leaving and me and, uh, my ex were talking back and forth that night. And then I got a call at five 30 in the morning, um, asking me to come over, which wasn't anything like unusual. I mean, we, we came up to each other's houses at, you know, sometimes at two in the morning, whatever. Um, so I went over there and he was taking a long, long time to get ready. And I was texting him and like asking him where he was. Finally, after I want to say like 45 minutes, if not longer, he finally met me downstairs. Um, I noticed his toe was cut and I kind of asked him what happened. And he kind of just, you know, gazed over the situation like it was no big deal. And so then uh, we were talking in the lobby and another gentleman was there as well. But I told that other gentleman to leave because he had just came off the night shift. So the elevators weren't working properly. So there's only one. So we took that elevator. We went out to the apartment and he locked all the doors from behind me and told me that I was not going anywhere. And that's when I thought, this is it for me. This is it. Um, so when we got into the apartment, there was blood everywhere. And then uh, he told me that I wasn't going anywhere, grabbed my phone, took it from me immediately. And then um, he sexually assaulted me in that apartment, showed me the body of the deceased in there, strangled me and pointed a knife to my back and told me this day would be easier. I was in there for two hours with him. and. Um, he kept telling me that I was going to be next. He said he was already going away for one count. Why not make it two? Did he ever mention why he took his friend's life? I don't think there really was a why. I mean, he blamed me in the trial and told me that it was because of jealousy. I mean, uh, the deceased had answered the phone the night before, and um, I was just thanking him for everything that he's done for my ex. And uh, he said that it was because of, of jealousy, but I really don't think that that's the case. I don't think that there is really a why that he did it. I And I think too, like there was jealousy on a whole other level as well, because the deceased was doing really well in his life and had, you know, done remarkable things, had a good job, had a great apartment. And I think that there was some definitely intimidation around that, but I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't know his why. I really don't. I don't even think he knows his why. Had, or do you know of him being diagnosed with any mental health conditions? No, it definitely wasn't mental health. I mean, he knew enough what he was doing. I mean, it was awful because I didn't find out till 2018 how the deceased actually died, which was blood force trauma. And the deceased was alive for a little bit too. And he watched, he watched him, he watched him die. And I don't know how anybody does that. You know, you, you if you accidentally hit somebody or accidentally do something, you, you call 911, but this was not an accident. 
And he tried, he tried and he tried to not to go for manslaughter. Manslaughter is like if you get in a car accident, it's, it's an accident. And this was not manslaughter by any means necessary. Since that day, what mental health struggles have come upon you? Um, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. I mean, anxiety's always been there because I've always had like the fear of like the change, the unknown, never done well with that, um, especially when I was in school. Um, but the PTSD, like, I can't tell you like how, and you know, a lot of people have so much stigma around it because they think it's only soldiers that get it, but it's actually anybody who's been through a traumatic experience. And it was awful because you get like, every time I hear a noise, I still, you know, jump up. I'm, I'm weary of people that I don't know walking behind me. I always let them go in front of me usually. It's awful. And the depression, the depression is, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. It's really, really trying, you know, especially like on anniversaries and, you know, the deceased's birthday and stuff. And in my birth, like I struggled so much because I felt the survivor's guilt. I felt so, so much guilt. It was awful. Like I, felt guilty for going to the gym. I felt guilty for getting out of bed. I felt guilty for going to the grocery store. I just felt guilty in general for living. I was definitely very withdrawn. I really did not want to see people. Like when I came home from work, I just wanted to sleep. I just wanted to sleep. I didn't want to feel anything, which is the worst. When you run from your feelings, you're not dealing with the trauma at hand whatsoever. And I kind of eventually it caught up with me because in October of 2016, which was Thanksgiving weekend, I tried to end my life by taking mixing pills with alcohol. And I actually skipped an entire day of my life um, because I just, I, I slept. Um, I, I scared my friends. Let me tell you big time. I just wanted it to like all be over, which was so selfish of me because I had a duty and I had a responsibility. And that duty and responsibility was to seek justice. Like I was the first person to take the stand. Like I was a key witness and I needed to be there for the deceased's family. I needed to support them. And it was like, how selfish could you be to think about taking your own life? Where was that going to get you? Where was that going to get the deceased's family? Where was that going to get any justice? So I really had to like reevaluate my life entirely. I had to re progress in my life. I had to rebuild my life from scratch. Yes, I didn't die physically, but I died mentally that day. I died emotionally. Like I had to become a better version of myself, the best version of myself that I can be. I had to start from like the bottom. I can tell you right now, I'm not the same person. I'm not naive anymore. I'm more grounded. I'm more aware of my surroundings. I'm more hyper vigilant than ever. Like a couple of weeks actually before this incident happened, I was running in a park in broad daylight and I was assaulted in a park. Everything kind of just added up and everything just kind of get overwhelming. And then, you know, my past like trauma and my childhood was like, it wasn't the worst growing up, but it was 
bad enough. Like I got called effing stupid and slapped across the head by my biological father at the time. And just watch my parents argue back and forth all the time and, and swear at each other. And just, you know, I witnessed him put a punch a hole through the door, just different stuff like that. And then my first relationship ever, you know, I was cheated on and it was just a lot of toxicity. And I'm a big believer in what you see is what you know. And I feel like I went not purposely seeking this, but I chose a lot of negative traits in people because that's what I saw growing up. And I thought that that's okay. I thought, oh, this is, well, this is what I deserve. And actually, no, it's, it's not what you deserve. You're worthy of love. I'm in a relationship now. And I'll tell you, like, there are days where, yes, it's a fantastic relationship, but there are days where I know, like, okay, I need to work on A, B, and C here because things from my trauma are, you know, like, I have this fear of abandonment. I have this fear that he's going to leave and and never come back. And he's never once said those words to me. He's never given me that inkling, but there's those like past emotions, those past behaviors. And then that's when I'm like, okay, I need to do something and I need to get in front of this. And so what I do is I reach out to my counselor and I come up with a plan, a solution. So I don't feel that way, or I don't compare him to past traumas because that's not fair. He is a completely different person than those people. And that's something that I need to work on. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Like counseling has been so instrumental in my life. I wouldn't be where I am today without that. I wouldn't be where I am today without the support from, yes, my family. My family is very small. It's just my cousins, my aunt and my grandma. That's it. And then I really am a big believer family is what you make it to be. And all my friends like rallied around me during the trial. Like I am so lucky that I got the support that I needed. And the police, the detectives, my crown attorney, victim services. I had the most incredible team ever. I am beyond grateful and I still stay in touch with some of them. They have just gone above and beyond for me. And Sunil Gotsi, actually, he's the one behind my book. He helped me get the publisher. His team works on my YouTube channel. His team is phenomenal. I am just so lucky that I have such positive people around me. I am just grateful beyond that all these people are just pushing me and encouraging me and supporting me always. And I think that that really helps you in the journey of healing and recovery. That's amazing. You said counseling, you said family and friends. Was there anything else that really helped? Yes. Yes, there was. Um, That still helps me to this day, actually. And it's sad now because we've gone back into lockdown, essentially. The gym. The gym has been the biggest thing. I I mean, it's going to be different for every single person. But for me, the gym is not just like this physical component. It's so much more about, you know, working out mentally and emotionally. And, you know, you're focusing on the task at hand. You're focusing on how many squats you're doing. You know, I almost say this and I say this in a joking manner sometimes, but it's actually serious. It's like a mini vacation. It's like me getting away from everything that's going on and just focusing on really trying to be in that moment 
in just having my music on, like typically if I go with a friend, it's like, okay, they do their workout and I'll do mine and we'll meet back up later. I am the kind of person that is very independent and I like to do my own thing. I have my own routine. I have my own structure. The gym has just been so healing to me on, on every single level, like mentally, emotionally, physically. It's just, it's put confidence. It's put self-esteem back into me. But for other people, it's going to be different things. You know, it may be going out for coffee with a friend. It may be knitting. It may be sewing. It may be drawing. It may be painting. It may be getting into a sport. Everybody is going to have their own thing. But for me, the gym was significant in my recovery. And it's another reason why I'm where I am today. So this happened in 2016, right? How long did it take you? to feel quote-unquote normal again? I don't know if I'll ever feel normal again. I mean, I've had little instances to like come up. Like a guy had followed me from my house to Starbucks on a bike. And like those little scenarios like that push me back sometimes because I think that the same thing can happen again. I don't know that I'm, I'm normal. I'm very very hyper vigilant. I'm very aware of my surroundings always because like you think that, you know, once you go through the situation, you do think that it could possibly happen again. I mean, every single day, worldwide, nationwide, countrywide, there are survivors and witnesses of crime. The other thing is too, like after the trial happened, everyone's like, oh, it's done. It's, It's over with. And no, that's just one chapter of it closing. Now I deal with the parole board. So now I could be having a perfect day and things are going really well. And then all of a sudden I could come home and find a parole letter in my mailbox telling me about his test scores or just giving me different updates. And and that is definitely triggering. And, And that's when, you know, counseling comes into play. That's when the gym comes into play. That's when my supports come into play. So it's, it's really noticing and it's addressing how you're feeling right away and not hiding it and not using some self-sabotage method, but it's getting in front of that problem. It's getting in front of that pain before it gets out of hand. And, you know, like I'm really conscientious to, if I do get a parole letter or something, I reach out to the deceased's family right away and I'm, I make them aware of what's to come. Well, because I don't want them to have to go through the surprise of finding that in in their mailbox. I'd rather be respectful and mindful and let them know this is what's going on. This is what you can expect to find. Obviously, you never know when one of these letters are coming. You've had to be very involved with his case. You had to testify. Is that scary? And he's going to be able to get out possibly in 2030. Correct. Uh, It's something that does weigh on my mind. I I won't sit here and lie to you. I mean, I've talked about it with friends and, and family and my boyfriend now even. It's definitely something on my mind. If he gets paroled, who do you think he's going to want revenge on? And I'm the one who turned him over to the authorities. I'm the one that testified against him. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do have some worry there. Do I have regret that I did any of that? Absolutely not. 
I did what you should do in a situation. You know, I called 911. I, I testified. I've written a book because to be completely honest with you, the police sat me down before they even started to question me. They said to me, please make us a promise. And I said, what is that promise? And they said, please promise us you won't turn to the streets for drugs, alcohol, prostitution. And I'm like, if this is the first thing they have to say, that's really sad. That tells you right there, the statistics of survivors turning to the streets, then turning to a healthy healing way, which did not sit well with me at the time. Like when they said that to me, that was earth shattering. That was heartbreaking for me on so many levels because yes, I obviously, I hate what happened to me, but I couldn't imagine being like a 14 year old or a 15 year old having to go through that when your brain hasn't even fully developed yet. And now you have to go through this horrific trauma. And, you know, I'm lucky that I had a support system, but there are a lot of people that don't have a support system, that don't have a sounding board, that don't get the great officers that I was privileged enough to have. And when I see people shooting up or on drugs or whatever, you know, I ask myself, why? I ask myself, what trauma did they go through to get to this point? People are so quick to point, but we don't know what somebody else is going through. And you know what? Like I was privileged enough to have counseling, but some of these people don't get counseling on time. They end up turning to the streets and thinking that that's going to be their way out. It's not. So that's the reason I, I wrote this book. That's the reason I have a YouTube channel. That's the reason I have a Facebook page. That's the reason I have a TikTok account, an Instagram account. I want to reach and touch as many lives as I possibly can. Do I want to be like a bookseller that makes millions of dollars? No, I, I just want to be able to help as many lives as possible. If I can save one person, then I've done what I've set out to do. Like that's what it's about for me at the end of the day. It's really about awareness and, and having someone that says, I believe in you, that I'm here to support you. I have a personal email. Like I've had people reach out to me from like the States even and share like their story of their son or daughter ending up being a witness or survivor of crime and asking me for different coping methods and stuff to help these people. And, and that's my only goal in all of this is to just touch as many lives as I possibly can and to let people know that they're not alone in these situations that there is help, there is support, there is resources out there that will help you get through this. You will never get over it, but you will get through it. It's minute by minute sometimes, it's hour by hour sometimes, it's day by day. That's really all that you can do. And it's about just being in that present moment and not focusing on the past and not looking into the future. I mean, that's something that I still struggle with on a daily basis is not you know, looking into the 2030 when he can be eligible for a poll. I'm trying to really focus on, okay, today I have this podcast and I'm going to write a blog and then I'm going to post some videos. I'm just trying to take it hour by hour some days or day by day some days. And I think that that's the best we can do for our recovery and for our healing is just taking it slow and steady. You know, we don't know what our future is going to hold. And we can't go and keep reliving the past every day either because that's unhealthy for us. It's about here and now. 
this was an absolutely horrifying event in your life. Can you say that there was anything good that came from it? It was horrific, like you said. I believe that the only thing that has really come out of it is just being able to understand and have the empathy and the compassion for other survivors of crime. I can relate to these people. I can honestly say that I I know what they're feeling. I know what they're going through. I guess just being that relatable person to somebody else that is struggling and and giving them hope and, and sharing my story and sharing my journey, because I believe that every story around trauma is a teaching tool and a teaching lesson for somebody else. You know, if my story can save one person from going through the pain and the horror that I've gone through, then that brings me peace and comfort. It's just knowing that I can inspire somebody else, that I can give somebody else that hope, that motivation to turn their lives around and to find that strength of healing, to find that strength of believing in yourself, of rebuilding yourself, of reprogress, of, you know, hope and courage and bravery. If I can just give that to somebody else, then that's the positive I see from it. Any final words that you would like people to know or that you would like to say to somebody who was a victim of a crime? There is hope. Don't turn to the streets for drugs or prostitution or alcohol. It's not the solution. It's not a way out. Don't run from your feelings. Don't hide from your emotions. Face them head on. That's how you're going to start your healing process. You know, and if you're worried about funds for counseling, there are tons of resources and tons of funds that the police can put you in touch with. Um, I really think that counseling is vital, rather that's one-on-one therapy or maybe you go to group therapy. And I think, too, is finding something that's for you. Like the gym is 110% for me, but like I said before, it's not going to be that way for everybody, is, is finding something that you're passionate about, something that motivates you to get up in the morning and to become the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. I think that that is vital to a healthy recovery is finding what makes you, what makes you shine, what makes you sparkle. And I feel like the other thing that makes me shine is knowing that I'm helping other people, you know, writing that book was, it was horrific on some levels, but it was also, I found peace and I found comfort by telling and sharing my story and by writing down key things that have happened in my life to get me to the place that I am today. I mean, in my book, I talk about domestic violence. I talk about finding love after tragedy. I talk about who I am today. And I think, you know, journaling is huge in the recovery process. If you can put a pen to paper, even if you don't want to write a book, but you just want to get out some of those feelings, I think putting pen to paper and writing about your thoughts, your emotions, what you've gone through, how you're getting through it, what your plan is, you know, just having pen to paper and and reflecting on how far you've come. And, you know, looking back on that in a couple of months and being like, wow, I've come really far in my progress, in my healing journey. I think that that's super important to really look at 
where you are now and, and how far you've come and really reflect on yourself and reflect on your journey. And it's okay to take day by day. It's okay to take minute by minute. Be patient with yourself. Go at your own pace. Don't rush your emotions. Don't rush how you feel. Just be in the present moment. The future is unknown. The past doesn't exist anymore. It's just being and living for that moment, those moments of happiness, those moments of joy, because there are moments of happiness. And you know what? Like maybe you won't find it in a relationship. Maybe you find it through volunteering. Maybe you find that by maybe being in a relationship with somebody and finding love and happiness. Um, You know, I never in a million years thought that I'd be in a relationship today. I was so set on my ways. I was so independent before this person came into my life because I had dated some people after my situation. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to play these games anymore. I don't want to keep getting myself hurt because I wear my heart on my sleeve and I feel with everything that I have. And sometimes that can be the biggest blessing. And sometimes that can be the biggest curse. I was pretty much done with relationships and, and getting involved with somebody again, but the right person came into my life and he's experienced stuff in his life. And, you know, we just, we both really connect, you know, it's, it's hard for us to even sit through a movie because we just, we talk so much. I really believe in like open communication and honesty and, and that's what we do for each other. Like we sit down and we talk about things and, you know, we have this board on my fridge um, that talks about what we like about each other Um, what we like as a couple and what we like about ourselves. And, you know, every so often we write things on that chart and it's definitely made us closer. I feel like, so there are different ways that you can be happy and that you can find love and it can bring you a great deal of comfort knowing that you have somebody that is in your corner that you can count on. I am so blessed and I am so grateful for him. And, you know, Love happens when you don't really see it coming. And that's totally what happened for me. Look at yourself as a survivor. Have self-affirmations on your mirror. Write things down that you are enough, that you are worthy, that you are beautiful inside and out. Once you start playing that in your head every day, you'll eventually start to believe it. And, you know, every bad thing that happens, yes, it's horrific but it does make you stronger on so many levels. And once you deal with it head on, I think that you should be able to give yourself so much credit because that takes so much strength, just dealing with emotions and going through those emotions day in and day out. Ashley, I'm going to put links in the show notes, but how can our listeners find your blog and buy your book and reach you on social media? My book is on ashleyinspires.com. My email is ashley underscore ashleyinspires.com. Instagram is ashleyinspires. TikTok is ashleyinspires. And then on Facebook, I have a Finding Strength Through Tragedy group. And then I also have an Ashley Inspires page as well. Yes, I think that's all of them. And you can purchase my book on ashleyinspires.com and proceeds actually go to helping survivors to crime 
Um, I know I donated some of my proceeds to the police station here and they actually were able to help um, purchase a dog um, for survivors of crime. So that's meant a great deal. And recently they actually put a bench in the park that's behind me and it's a bench for survivors of crime as well. So we're definitely doing lots of work on looking out for survivors of crime. Well, thank you, Ashley, for sharing your story. I hate that you had to go through what you went through, but I love that you are using that pain and that trauma to help others. And I do see your strength. Well, thank you so much for giving people this platform to share their stories. You're touching so many lives by just letting people be on your platform. It's an incredible honor. So thank you. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. Enjoy what you heard today? Help us get the word out. Give You Talk a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You might find your review reposted on our social media. Thanks for listening. The mic drops next. What Ashley Michelle experienced is probably everyone's worst nightmare. And she's still dealing with the after effects of that trauma and her PTSD. Her story really hits home that mental health and healing is truly a journey. The road to healing is something you have to take day by day. And sometimes there will be triggers that set you back. But Ashley has become an advocate for survivors of crime to encourage them to keep moving forward. Life will never be the same for Ashley. She even said that she did not physically die, but the person she used to be died in that incident. When I asked Ashley if there were any red flags that she had noticed in her relationship with her ex, she said there weren't. However, I wonder if there were actually signs that were more subtle that the new and more vigilant Ashley would now pick up on that the old Ashley did not. The only reasoning he gave for what he did is that he was jealous, and chances are that jealousy would have shown itself in some other more subtle ways. The new Ashley now understands the toxicity of some of her past relationships and why she may have been drawn to those partners. Ashley credits several things for helping her in her healing process. Counseling, her support system, and finding that thing that gives you peace and makes you quote-unquote sparkle, which for her is the gym. What I heard loud and clear in her story was the power of human connection. As in most of the stories on this podcast, once again, human connection is shown to have been a key to healing. No one would ever want to experience this, but Ashley's friends, family, and even people she met after that experience have supported her throughout her entire healing journey. It's helped her to get where she is today. And her connection with other people who've fallen victim to crimes is going to be the support someone else needs just to help push that person forward in his or her healing journey as well. 
Instead of judging someone who may have turned to a negative way of coping with their trauma, show some empathy and compassion, listen to their story, and become a part of that person's healing journey. A special thanks to my Canadian friends who might be listening today. I hope everyone will join me in a couple of weeks as we hear from another Canadian friend and executive producer of the animated film Back Home Again. Charmaine Hammond will be telling her story and talking about the importance of resilience. Until then, chat with me on social media at utalk2020 or get some cool gear on Patreon at patreon.com slash utalk2020. Grace and blessings. Blessings.